Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. Grab your pen and paper, because here's Dr. Kelly with this week's podcast. Hey, what if I told you that you could actually have a leadership and a ministry that absolutely had no limits? What if there was a conference that was designed and equipped to help you blow the lid off of your leadership? Hey, that is what Insight 15 is all about, and I promise you do not want to miss it. Pastor Derwin Gray from Transformation Church is going to be joining me on the main stage to teach leadership lessons, leadership principles that will enable us to lead without limits. In addition to that, we have some remarkable breakout sessions. We have the one and only Todd Fields from North Point Community Church who's going to be teaching worship. We have Dr. Joanne Lyon who is going to be teaching and talking to women about women's ministry. We've got Joe Sangal who's going to be equipping us as pastors and leaders to teach stewardship and see our financial resources in the kingdom advance. We've got children's ministry breakouts and many more. And again, I promise you do not want to miss it. I'm talking August 14th and 15th, Friday and Saturday, 2015. We would love to have you at Insight 15. What's up, church? Man, you guys came to worship today. There's no doubt about it. We've got a great day on tap here. Before we even get into that, though, we wanted to show you that video because Insight, the signature leadership conference that we put on every single year, is this Friday. When? This Friday starts at 7 o'clock, goes to 9 o'clock. Then we're going to have this big after party here. Then it's all day on Saturday. Well, I say all day from 9 o'clock in the morning to 5 p.m., We're going to have about 700 pastors descending on this place for growth and leadership development. Not only the pastors, but they're bringing leaders from their churches. And I just want to give you one more shot. We are that close to selling out. I mean, I think in the next 24 to 48 hours, I'm going to have to tweet and say, hey, we're sold out. We just can't take any more people. So listen, if you want to go, if you desire to lead in the home, the workplace, The church, whatever the case may be, listen to me closely. You need to leave here today, and as soon as you leave here, register for Insight, because I always want new hopers to have a seat in the house if you can attend. Secondly, 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 two weeks from now, we are beginning the series that many of you have been asking about, I'm not even exaggerating, for years. For years, I have had people come up to me, Pastor, Pastor, when are you going to do a sermon series on the book of Revelations? Now, now, two things, two things. First, it's not revelations. Everybody say revelation. The series, the book in the Bible is not the book of revelations. One of my pet peeves, I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's the book of revelation. There's one revelation. And it's about one. And his name is who? Jesus. It's awesome. We've been planning this for about six months now. I'm ready to go fired up about it. The book of Revelation, Breaking the Code, you're going to see a slide here. It begins in two weeks on August 23rd. August 23rd. Next Sunday, we're going to be giving you some handouts so that you can invite your friends. Because listen, guys, every I don't care if it's an unbeliever. There are people that you know they would love to hear the book of Revelation talk. Because everybody's wondering about the times in which we live. And everybody's wondering, how's it all going to end? And everybody's wondering, what is that strange apocalyptic book called Revelation all about? We are going to go at it for eight weeks. Eight weeks. I'm going to walk you through the book. I'm glad I got two people up front excited about it. I know you're just thinking about it. It's all good. For eight weeks, I'm going to walk you through the book of Revelation. And it's going to take all... Um, all ambiguity or fear out of it for you. You're going to understand apocalyptic literature in the book of Revelation like you have always wanted to. Very, very excited about that. When is it again? Who, who knows? August 23rd. Okay. Today, today, if you follow me on Twitter, you know I told you I have a big surprise for you today. Today, the brother who is going to be speaking and teaching and slinging leadership from this main stage with me at the Insight Leadership Conference this coming weekend... The brother, my friend, Pastor Derwin Gray, 
is going to preach to you today. Let me tell you how this all went down. I'm sitting there and I'm watching my brother preach because we've become friends, man. We, we share uh, a common vision for the church. He's uh, pastoring a church in the South Carolina, Charlotte area, right there in that northern part of South Carolina, southern part of North Carolina. We've just become really good friends. He is my guest speaker at Insight this coming weekend. As I was watching him teach recently, man, the Spirit of God spoke to me. And I'm like, New Hope needs to hear this message. New Hope needs to hear this message. So I'm showing, it, showing you this message for that reason, number one. And number two, for any of you who are on the proverbial Insight fence, you're like, you're like, you've been procrastinating, you're not sure if you're going to come to Insight this weekend. When you hear this brother teach today, I think you are going to want to do that. Let me walk you through who Derwin Gray is. Derwin Gray is the founding and lead pastor of Transformation Church, a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, mission-shaped community with two campuses in South Carolina. He's, he's wanting to take multi-site to the next level, by the way, so we've been talking a lot. He's been asking lots of questions about how New Hope does all of it. Oh, by the way, I don't think I've welcomed the campuses. Shame on me. Give it up for all the campuses, 10 of them. We love you people. Woo! Check it out. He um, pastors this church. They got two campuses. He's married to Vicki. They met at Brigham Young University. Pastor Derwin Gray played in the NFL on the best team in the NFL. You don't even know what I'm going to say. Huh? That girl knows me. and she's, That's a smart woman right there. Hey. The best team in the NFL. Who's ready for football? Man, I can't wait for football. Pastor Derwin played for the Indianapolis Colts for like five years. So some of you don't think that's the best team. Hey, you, you are more than welcome to disagree with me. You will just be wrong. After playing for the Indianapolis Colts, he played for the Charlotte Panthers. Oh, yeah. And, um, but here's what happened. He had a head-on collision with Jesus, and Jesus changed his life, and he left the National Football League, which, by the way, have ever, ever told you what NFL stands for? Not for long. <laughs> uh, most, most people don't play it long because it's very, very hard. He left the NFL, and uh, he had a great career there, played, and then left the NFL to be a preacher of the gospel. Met his wife, like I said. They're in ministry together. They started this transformation church. And just like New Hope Church, every year they're listed in Outreach Magazine as one of the fastest growing churches in the nation. They're young. They're much younger than us. We're 13 years old. I think they're like four years old. But God is strutting his stuff through this man and through Transformation Church. Grab your teaching notes. Grab your pen. Open up your Bible to the book of Romans. This is going to be on video. And this is how we roll around New Hope Church. Listen, more than half of the people in the movement now watch my messages on Sundays on video every now and then you folks here in Central Campus in the Durham Campus you get to lean in and experience redeeming technology and the power of video teaching so lean in this word is going to bless you and listen if you've ever if you've ever been a little unclear about what the gospel is all about this is why I wanted to show you this message it just takes the gospel and it just puts it in HD quality as he unpacks one of the most powerful passages in the entire book of Romans. Let's go get this, church. Father, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. Thank you for our friend. God, thank you that he gets to be here with us this coming weekend and that we get a little foretaste of how you are using this man and how you will use him at the Insight Leadership Conference. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
want to welcome our guests here to Transformation Church 521, our guests at Transformation Church Rock Hill, and to the mighty men of Transformation Church Kershaw Prison. Let's give it up for them. And for all the people that tune in literally from around the world, if you're a guest, the applause you hear is us thanking God in advance for what he's going to do. We have this conviction that Jesus is risen, that Jesus does transform lives and change situations. We really, really believe that. The older you get, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of having, having these reflective moments at, at 43, moving into 44. And um, you look back and you see these moments of truth that change the trajectory of your life. Uh, this past week, I got to go back to San Antonio, Texas, and I spoke at the Texas High School Coaches Leadership Summit. And if you don't know anything about Texas, know that we take sports, particularly football, very, very seriously. And so I was asked to speak to these influential coaches who have an opportunity to influence students' lives. And the idea behind this leadership summit is, can a coach change a student athlete's life. And the executive director of the high school, of the Texas High School Coaches Association, is my former head coach, D.W. Rutledge. And so it was very nostalgic. And I didn't have to prepare the message because life prepared me for the message. I would not be who I am if it was not for Coach D.W. Rutledge and his coaching staff. And I've talked about one of the fundamental moments of truth for me happened when I was 17 years old. I was a team captain. Now, Converse Judson High School has the most state championships in Class 6A in Texas, the highest winning percentage, the most con consecutive winning seasons. Like, we're really good. I sent uh, Audrey Kell's high school coach a picture of my high school stadium, and he asked me, are you at Texas A&M University? I said, no, this is how we roll at Converse Judson. Like, you think it's a college. So the point I'm trying to make is that we're really, really good. Well, I was a team captain, and I decided that I didn't want to practice. So I didn't go. At my high school, if you miss practice, it better be for two reasons. One, you're dead. Two, you've been abducted by UFO. Neither one of those things happened to me. Nobody said anything. No coaches called me. The next day at practice, I was on second string. We went into the game, and we won 45 to nothing, and the junior who replaced me played very, very well. Come Monday, my defensive back coach, his name is Mike Sullivan, Texas Irish man. He did things to me in old school coaching that today's modern parent would go, that's abuse. I'm so thankful for that, man. I am so thankful. Not at the moment. Not at the moment. Anyway, so we're sitting in his office. And he says, Dewey, you can be great. But if you don't want to be great, you are not going to play. And then that moment of truth happened. They got to understand, to me, my coaches were seven foot tall. They could fly. They could do anything. And this man started crying. And he held out his hand and he said, Dewey, I have your future right here. What are you going to do? Next day of practice, I'm second string. I go home, I start filling out paperwork for the Marines. Like, I'm getting out the ghetto. It's going to be about football or the military. Here's a question. Why in the world did I pick the Marines? I should have did Air Force. They don't fight. Definitely not Navy because I can't swim. How many black people you see in the Olympics? Like one. One, let's just keep it real. Don't get offended, it's true. <laughs> Next day of practice, second string. We get to the game, and the first defense goes out. I'm like, I have ruined my life with one selfish decision. Like, it's over. Second play of defense, Coach Sullivan says, Dewey, get in the game. Y'all, I got in that game. And I about killed them kids from East Central High School. It was abuse. It, I mean, seriously, I was hitting kids and knocking them off the field under their own bench. 
Like it was illegal how hard I was hitting them. Like I went from a good football player to first team All-State to become one of the greatest players to ever play at Brigham Young and to be the 92nd pick in the 1993 NFL Draft. That was my moment of truth. Here's our problem though. As humans, we don't like moments of truth. We like moments of denial. But it's those moments of truth where we have to look in the mirror and go, this is reality. What are you going to do? I'm thankful Coach Sullivan didn't coddle me. He told me the truth. Well, guess what? In Romans chapter 1 and in Romans chapter 2, God, through the Apostle Paul, gives human beings our moment of truth with who we are. In Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul is speaking to Jewish people who says, you may have God's law, you may have the Torah, you may have dietary laws, but you're sinners. And then he says to the Gentiles, you are sinners too. A Gentile is anybody who is not Jewish. And he's saying all of humanity, check this out. Here's the bad news. This is the bad news. Now, you can't appreciate the good news unless you know the bad news. No one is righteous. Now, let me pause here. For 21st century Americans, we're concerned more about our personal rights than what is right. So this is very, very offensive. And before I was a Christian, that was offensive because I would have went, wait a second, buddy. In 1994, I was the RCA Man of the Year for Community Service in the city of Indianapolis. I almost won the whole award for the NFL. At every football game in the RCA Dome with the Colts, there was 50 inner city poor kids sitting in a section of seats that I spent thousands of dollars on every week for them to sit there with a big banner that said, The Gray Zone. And I looked up and I said, Look how awesome I am. I was being a glory thief. If you don't know God, you're like, dude, you're so awesome. But God's like, you're still in my glory, son. I created you to make me famous, not yourself. Now, but this is the moment of truth because all of us know we're not perfect. All of us know we are flawed. From a little girl, a boy, all the way to the oldest person here. We know that's why when we mess up, we try to do something good to pay it back. That's why we like self-help stuff. So everyone is in need of righteousness. Even that word itself is like, I don't really know what it means, but being righteous is a good thing. That's why we fake and pretend that we are. We need redemption. I'm going to explain what that means. And we all need forgiveness. If you talk to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, they will tell you, if my patients only believed that they were forgiven, 90% of their problems would be over. We all need forgiveness. Let's look at the text. What shall we conclude? Now, the Apostle Paul is Jewish. So when he says we right now, he's making his argument specifically to the Jewish Christians and the churches in Rome. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? In other words, he, he's saying, listen, I know Jewish people, God said we're the apple of his eye. And he gave us the Ten Commandments and he gave us the Torah and we can't eat like bacon or chitlins. And so therefore, so therefore we're better than those Gentiles. And he goes, we don't have an advantage. Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Uh, Let me pause. Uh, Recently, I got uh, criticized for, why do you talk about race so much? It's in the Bible. It's it's right there. Do y'all want me to go? For we have all uh, already made the charge that alike are all united under the power of sin. Like it's in the Bible. Y'all want me to read it, right? Here's what's sad. I spent thousands of dollars on a master's program, and we just kind of just went right by that. 
Do you know how radical it would have been for Jewish people and non-Jews to be in a church together? That's like the Ku Klux Klan and Malcolm X having a picnic together. Seriously. Some of y'all young ones are like, I need to Google that. Google that. But Paul is making this argument that your ethnicity, your religious activity, nothing about any of us makes us righteous. As it is written, this is the word of God, there is no one righteous. Derwin Gray's not righteous. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Here in the South, people will say, when did you find Jesus? That's the way they'll say it too. And I'll go, I didn't find Jesus. Jesus found me. We don't wake up one day going, Jesus, today I'm going to find you. No, no, Jesus before time began has been calling your name. And when you think you found him, you will learn that he's always been in pursuit of you. Right now, he's in pursuit of you. All my Calvinist friends are going, yes, Derwin, give them Calvinism. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. What this means is you're still in God's glory. There is no one who does good, not even one. There's the moment of truth. If you and I don't grasp this moment of truth, we will not grasp God's grace. Here's the problem I face every week preaching grace. It's not about what you achieve, it's about what you receive. And people who are like me determine. You know how many people have played in the NFL? There's 7 billion people on the planet. 3,500 NFL players. Do you know how determined I am? How hard I've worked? One of my problems being a pastor is I will work myself to death because that's all that I know. If I had a problem, I'm going to fix it through work. Baby, what you need, honey? You want me to fix it? She's like, no, just listen. What? Just listen. Put that in your pocket, fellas. It's true. Just listen. She'll be like, baby, you're so understanding. Give mama a kiss. I don't be fixing nothing now. I'll be like, what, baby, you just need me to listen like Oprah? Come on. I'll listen. No one, not even one. So watch this. Let me pause here. This is important. Leave this up for a minute. Let me talk to the teenagers and young adults. And I'm going to take a segue, a timeout. And I want to answer this question because we're going to get this question. And the Apostle Paul answers it in Romans 1 and 2. What about people who've never heard about Jesus? That's a great question. Well, in Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul answers it. Everyone will hear. Watch this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, notice, invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Do you love, look how brilliant Paul is. His his invisible qualities have been seen. As a writer, I'm like, this dude could write. That's epic. Don't miss that. You're like, well, yeah, he's the apostle Paul. The Holy Spirit was using him, of course. Being understood from what? has been made so that people are without excuse. So within creation, and theologians and philosophers call this the light of creation, that because of creation, you're like, there's got to be a bigger scenario. There's got to be a bigger something happening. Case in point, this is my Nexus 10 tablet. And uh, what if I told you I was sitting around for a couple million years, and this thing just put itself together? Like, it's amazing how that just happened. Like, it just happened. All of this intelligence, all of this design just happened. You would say, Pastor, what are you smoking? So, in the deepest, darkest jungles, God is seeking, and he's like, I'm going to let you know through creation. So right now, in the deepest, darkest jungles, 
with all of this idolatry. And I've been to India where in a slum there's these false gods and so forth, right? I've been there. And God is still moving and making himself known. So that's the light of creation. Now we're going to look at the light of consciousness. And there's the the race thing again, Gentiles. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, in other words, the Gentiles didn't have the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, first four are love God. The next six are love your neighbors, you love yourself. Even though they didn't have the law, watch this, do by nature things required by the law. They are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Even though I didn't grow up in a Christian home, I knew that in second grade, when I stole that little boy's quarter, it was wrong. And I put it in my pocket. And the teacher said, everyone empty their pockets. And I pulled out the quarter and said, my dad gave it to me. And the teacher knew I didn't have a daddy in my life. Who taught me to lie that way? And why did I know it was so wrong and felt so bad? That's called the light of consciousness. All of us want to scrub ourselves clean. Some of us right now are here because you think I'm scrubbing off what I did last night clean. I get it. I've been there. So if someone asks you, well, what about those who've never heard? There's a light of creation, the light of consciousness. And if we say yes to those lights, there will be the light of Christ. In the Muslim world, dreamology is big. There are Muslims becoming followers of Jesus by the thousands because of dreams. God will send missionaries. That's why we have international missionaries and relationships and partnerships. What I will say to people who use that question as a smokescreen, what about those who've never heard? I'll say, well, let me disciple you and send you to the jungle then, if you're so concerned. Well, but we are concerned. And that's why we have partnerships in India and Haiti and Africa and Rwanda and Sudan and so forth and so on. Wanted to pause there. Let's get back to our message. Here's the good news. You can't understand the good news unless you understand the bad news. Let me pause there. Teenagers, uh, when I went back to Texas, uh, I took one of our younger guys that travels with me, and I took him to the house where I grew up at. And I took a picture. So if you follow me on Instagram, you can see the picture of the house I grew up in. So therefore, when I drive up to my house now, I appreciate my house. Teenagers, that's why your parents tell you to clean up, because to buy that house was a lot of work. When no one was watching me run, when no one was asking for my autograph, and I was a 17-year-old nobody running in 100-degree weather in San Antonio, Texas, that was a payment to the house I got now. Every brick has drops of blood and sweat in it. And I appreciate it. We appreciate the good news when we know the depths of the bad news. Have you ever seen somebody get cancer and then become an advocate for cancer? Have you ever seen somebody go through a divorce and become an advocate to help marriages be healthy? Thank you. (laughs) That's right. That's what I'm talking about. That's, That's why they up in here. That's why they up in here. So they can learn. That's what I'm talking about. You can talk back to me. Okay. So here comes the good news. In Christ. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, in Christ, this means through the work in the life of Jesus, through faith in him, you are righteous. That's a big theme throughout the Bible. This this righteousness. Let's read the text. But now... Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Leave this up for a minute. What Paul is writing is the only way a person could become righteous is if they perfectly live the Ten Commandments. And Paul is saying, no one can do that, and the law lets us know. The more we try to live the Ten Commandments, the more we realize we don't. Case in point, whenever I think I'm doing good and I focus on what I've done, pride rears its head. 
Also, the prophets testified that there would be one who'd come to give us his righteousness because he alone lived the law. I want you to read this in blue with me on the count of three. One, two, three. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That changed Derwin Gray. In 1998, talking to the team chaplain with the Carolina Panthers, that changed me. That the righteousness that we all want comes as a gift from someone else. That's a game changer. Let's continue. There is no difference between Jew and non-Jews. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Remember I went back to we're glory thieves. If we're not finding our righteousness in our life and everything in Christ. Regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your religious practices, only those who have faith in Jesus Christ are righteous. Man, this really beats up our ego, but it sets us free to worship. Teenagers, check this out. Because of faith in Christ, grab a hold of this, guys. Once again, here's the problem with preaching grace. It's not what you achieve. It is what you Receive. It takes a humble person to receive a gift from someone else. You're not only forgiven in Christ. You are as righteous as Jesus himself. Doesn't that just sound awkward? Even if you don't like Jesus, you got respect for him. Like you've read his Facebook profile. You've seen his highlight tape and you're like... I don't even like Jesus, but yeah, he lived a pretty awesome life. And for me to be as righteous as him, that's just not fair. Guys, following Jesus and Christianity is not fair. We don't want fair. Jesus got fair so we could get grace. Therefore, you are fully pleasing To God the Father. Because God gives us his righteousness and forgiveness, we are fully pleasing to God the Father, independent of our behavior. All of us. That's just the way we're wired. All of us want to be pleasing to somebody we highly esteem. Whether if it's a dead daddy, whether if it's a coach, But ultimately, those are windows to say, I want to be pleasing to God. Even people who are not religious, you do things like you'll, you'll, you'll give to, to some emergency or, or or you'll help a homeless person. You'll drop a five on them or, or you'll try to do good things because all of us want to inevitably be pleasing to God, be pleasing to somebody in our lives. And here's the problem. It's never enough. How do you know when you've done enough to be pleasing to someone? It's never, ever enough. But Jesus is our enough. Some of us are people pleasers because we want that to be our enough. Jesus Christ said, I got you and I got this. I am your enough. Because God the Father is pleased with me, he is pleased with you. Friends, when we get this, when we get off of this treadmill, some of us who've been following Jesus for years, we're on this spiritual treadmill and we're running. God, are you pleased with me? 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 Please understand this. God is not pleased with Derwin Gray because I'm a half-decent husband, half-decent dad, an okay preacher. Because I've written a couple books. God is not pleased with Derwin Gray based on what I do. His pleasure in me and his pleasure in you is rooted in his eternal pleasure with his son, Jesus. Friends, when you get that, you are going to take off spiritually. I stopped listening to hip-hop music that degraded women... When I was listening to this music and I went, 
that does not correspond with God's pleasure of me. It wasn't, oh, I'm guilty, I'm listening to this. Jesus already took care of my guilt. It was, God's pleased with me. Why would I listen to trash? That's what grace does. Here's the problem with preaching grace. Well, what can I do? Nothing. Because it's already been done. Live from what's been done. If you're a follower of Jesus, when God the Father looks at you, he sees you as righteous as Jesus Christ himself. Listen, as awkward as that feel, it is eternally true and it is good news for you and for me. I've told you guys for years uh, about my white suits, about my white suit that I used to wear. Um, I grew up poor. Uh, I grew up wearing hand-me-downs. That meant my older cousin handed me down his clothes. Uh, you know how parents, how like some of your kids have the shoe game? I had the can I wear anything game. Like I didn't get the first Jordans when they came out. By the way, if I knew they would be as expensive as they are now, I would have bought a bunch of pairs and saved them for now. I'd be rich. Man, they charge $300 for a pair of tennis shoes. Michael Jordan, that's a lot of money. Man, anyway, I need counseling for that. I just don't get it. Okay. When I got to the NFL, I wanted to put on suits to cover up my insecurities. I wanted the nice labels and the fashion to cover up that I was poor and made fun of. I didn't want people to know where I lived. So I would say, drop me off around the corner. I would walk past my house because I knew if my friends found out what y'all call is bullying, that's just like, we just talked about each other. Uh, You ain't going to talk about me when you see this dilapidated house because I'm going to walk on by. (laughs) So when I would put on these suits, man, it changed everything. As a matter of fact, let me show you. Let me show you. Leave that up there for a minute. Brother's clean, ain't he? Now, it was an act of mercy that I did not wear this suit today. I thought about it. But the reason I didn't is because I would have killed that man right there because buttons would have went, boom, boom, then just flew off. Because I got those tailor-made when I had 4% body fat and I was 202 pounds. That ain't no more. Add like 38 to that 202. I'm just thick. Buttons would have been everywhere. I wouldn't even button it up. Don't tell anybody, but when I got to wear a suit, right, I'll go in the closet and I'll make sure my, because I can't button it up. Because if I did, I'd be talking like, <gasps> anyway, put the suit back, 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 back up. Put the suit back up. Here's the suit. Here's the suit. So that's a former teammate of mine. And we got matching suits to match our ridiculous egos. And, and so, but man, when I put on this suit and I had a bunch of them, I got a closet full of suits. When I put on this white suit and I got on the steam plane, man, I even developed a British accent. <laughs> Hello. How are you? Good day. Cheerio. Have some tea, perhaps. Yes. Yes. They'd be like, Derwin, you are from the hood, man. Yes, yes, but I have on a new suit, by the way. <laughs> and then here's the, here's the funny part. You can ask my wife. I would carry around... A Franklin Templeton planner with nothing in it. But hey, I felt like I needed to be organized because of the way I was dressed. Now watch this. The way I saw myself changed how I acted because of the clothes I was wearing. Galatians chapter 3 verse 27 says, you are clothed in Christ. Start to see what God sees and it will change your behavior. So you have a choice. When you leave here, you can listen to God saying, all those who believe, God gives his righteousness. Or you can leave here and say, I'm going to earn my righteousness. One leads to frustration and self-worship. One leads to flourishing and worshiping the Lord Jesus. And I know that because I'm a living testimony of that. And you know what happens next? When you begin to see how you're clothed, all of a sudden you get very optimistic 
about human beings. You think everybody's savable because God saved you. One of the reasons why we don't share our faith is because we hadn't let the work of faith work deeply in us. That we become like optimistic. Like, this dude is an axe murderer. Jesus can save him, I'm telling you. This dude is crazy. But let me tell you about Jesus' crazy grace. Like every excuse get overcome because Jesus is stronger. If he can make me righteous, if his work is that beautiful, if his work is that sufficient in me, he can do it in everybody. He can do it in anybody. You become optimistic about people. That's what grace does. Let's move on. In Christ, you are redeemed. Here's another one of these beautiful words. Let's look at it. So the Apostle Paul goes on, and all are justified. That's the word righteous, guys. All are justified, declared righteous. Watch this. Freely by his grace. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah, through his redemption, freely by grace. And the word redemption is a beautiful Hebrew word that is rooted in the greatest act in Israel's history. What is it? It's the Exodus, when Israel were slaves in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Man, I wish I had James Earl Jones' voice right there. I am the Lord your God. I'm the Lord your God who rescued you, that's redeemed, from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. So the children of Israel were crying out to God and God comes to Moses. He's like, I'm going to get my people. Moses is like, yeah, boy, flavor, flavor. And then God says, by the way, Moses, I'm going to send you. Whenever God does a rescuing, he does it, but he sends you and me. Eventually, God says, put the blood of this lamb, of this goat, put it on the doorpost of the Israelites' house and the angel of death will pass by. And what happens? The firstborn of Egypt dies and then the people are set free. So Jesus' blood redeems us. It sets us free. What does it set us free from? From our Pharaoh, which is sin, death, and evil. We've already covered justification. Let me talk to you about Jesus being stronger to overcome your habits, hurts, and hang-ups that steal God's glory. About my habits, hurts, and hang-ups that steal God's glory. This right here is the football coach. I want to pump you up. You know what I'm Pump you up. I want to pump you up with the life of Christ that you have. Do you realize that Jesus Christ liberates slaves? Jesus comes to live in you. The one who created the Milky Way galaxy, the one who rose from the dead, the one who cast out demons is the one who can set you free from pornography addiction. He's the one who can set you free from bitterness. He is the one who can set you and I free from whatever it is that is stealing God's glory in our lives. Jesus does it. Would you for one moment get unsanctified, get uncouth, and cry out to the living God of the universe. Say, deliver me from this addiction. Deliver me from this hurt, this habit, this hang-up. He needs some people to cry out to him. Why? Because he hears the cries of his people. Have you cried out to Jesus to rescue you? Have you cried out to Jesus? Or... Do you think you got it? How's that working out? Honey, we'll figure this out ourselves. We don't need counseling. That's like 12 years of you figuring it out. And you're destroying your family. I don't need to talk to none of the pastors. I can do this. Really? For real? How's that working out? Grace gets you to the point you go, look, I, I don't, here I am. I'm busted. I'm broken. I need help. Cry out to Jesus and progressively he will transform you. He wants to set you free. And by the way, Jesus won't set you free from a friend, but he will from an enemy. What's your friend that is still in glory from God's life? Because some of you right now are like, preacher, I like my addiction. I can, that's where I can go self-medicate. I'm good. 
Can I say something in love? Would you quit being selfish? Because you're not just hurting yourself. You're hurting the people that love you. Would you quit being selfish? No one on this planet has a life that does not impact anybody else's life. Would you quit being selfish and go to the wounded healer who heals wounded people? His grace is that beautiful. In Christ, you are forgiven. Let's look at this text. By the way, my mentor, Dr. Norman Geisler, who I studied under, says that the passage of Scripture we're going through is the most important in the entire Bible. And Dr. Geisler is like E.F. Hutton. When he speaks, everybody listens. Some of you under 30 are like, don't worry about it. God presented Christ. Now, notice the beauty of this. God presented Christ. It's a, it's a, a gift. As a sacrifice of atonement. This is rooted deeply in Israel's history. That atonement meant that blood was smeared over the Ten Commandments. And so when God's Shekinah glory that hovered around the Ark of the Covenant would look down at the Ten Commandments, it wouldn't see that the people broke the Ten Commandments and thus sinned. It would see the blood of this Lamb that covered the people's sins. And so Jesus' blood smears over our sins through the shedding of his blood over our sins. Now watch this. To be received by faith. Not achieved through action, but received by faith. And, and God does this because he, he loves us. God does this because he loves us. As a matter of fact, uh, what we got here is a canvas. And by no stretch of the imagination is Derwin Gray an artist. I, I know what my gift set is. I know how to stay in my lane. But in Romans chapter 1, Paul basically describes human history outside of Jesus. Envy. I know no one struggles with envy at all. Like none of y'all drove up like, ooh, that's that 1%. Look at that car. That's that one percenter. I know no one struggles with that at all. Proud. Oh, I'd never struggle with being proud of Transformation Church at all. Boastful. Woo, glad I got over that one. No mercy. I'm pretty good with this one. Like, I am such a teddy bear. If it was not for my wife, I would be an enabler. I'm serious. I'm like, okay. Sexual immorality. This is any sex outside of a husband or wife in a marital relationship. And remember, Jesus took it up a notch. He goes, listen, adultery is a sin, but let me tell you about if you lust for a woman... You've committed adultery. If you lust for a man, I'm glad no one in here read one of the 100 million copies of Fifty Shades of How to Beat a Woman. Mm -hmm. Sexual immorality. Yeah, I'm glad I never messed up before Jesus. Not. Disobey their parents. I know none of you teenagers have that issue at all. At all. Unrighteousness. Backstabbers. Oh, girl. I, let me t- and then next week, like y'all best friends, girl, you are, let's go to the bathroom together. Um, idolatry. Good thing we don't worship false gods like our jobs, our houses, our cars, our clothes. Our children. Haters of God. Some of you are like, well, Derwin, I do not hate God. If you think you're righteous outside of Jesus, you are spitting in God's face. Because he gave you a greatest gift on Christmas, his son, who is your righteousness. You're like, I got this. I'm good. No, you're not good. Evil. Break their promises. No one's ever done that. Insolent. I don't even know what that means, but that must be bad. So pretty much as I look at this, uh, (laughs) pretty much as I look at this, I totally fit this moment of truth. But let me tell you about the truth that sets you free 
because He loves us. You see, through the atonement, through the shedding of His blood, God begins to smear out our sin. You see, because of His red blood, because we're unable to forgive ourselves, God Himself says, because I love you, I'm going to forgive you. That sexual immorality, that sexual brokenness, that addiction, I'm going to forgive you because I love you. I'm going to forgive you. He is jealous for me. His love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. All of a sudden, I'm unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are, and I get your affections all for me. And oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us all. So we are his portion, and he is our prize. Drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If grace is an ocean, and we're all sinking. Oh, and so heaven to me. Like a passionate kiss And my heart turns violently Inside of my chest I don't have time to maintain these regrets When I'm in the way But He loves us And oh, how He loves us And oh, how He loves us and oh, how he loves, yeah, he loves us. And oh, how he loves us. And oh, how he loves us. And oh, how he loves Yeah, he loves Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, just stop by one of our campuses anytime or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. If you have any prayer requests, please send those to prayers at newhopenc.org and our pastors and staff will stand with you in prayer. Thanks for being a part of our church family and we hope you'll join us next week.